Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Last November, the world experienced what many observers thought was an earth change in artificial intelligence with the testing of ChatGPT. Since then, not a week has gone by without an article describing how AI is being used in healthcare. As many of you are aware, AI has been used in healthcare for years now, but even since November, there are some exciting new ideas about its use, and of course, a lot of attention from DC lawmakers. This week, we have just the guest to guide us through a particular element in the discussion that is how health plans use AI, what's been done, and what's in store for the future. Our guest is Dr. Derek Higgins, head of enterprise data science and AI with the Healthcare Services Corporation, a Blue Cross Blue Shield payer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I'm Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous is modernizing the healthcare financial experience for all. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And this is the collective voice of Health IT, a WEDI podcast. And as I said, today we're excited to talk to Dr. Derek Higgins. Dr. Higgins is head of data science and HI solutions at HCSC. He is also an adjunct professor of computer science at the Illinois Institute of Technology. Previously, he led America Family Insurance's data science and analytics lab, developing new products and services. And prior to joining American Family, Dr. Higgins was lead data scientist at Civis Analytics. He used deep learning to uncover latent factors in political discussions on social media. And before that, he was, an, he was at the Educational Testing Service, where he and his team developed tools for analyzing student responses that are now used in leading testing programs around the world, including the GRE and TEFL. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. That was a long clearing of my throat, but we're excited to have you here. And I couldn't help but noticing from your biography that your PhD from the University of Chicago was in linguistics. And I think uh, our listeners would agree that sometimes when we think of AI, we're thinking of coders or IT. So can you tell us a little bit about your background there, how you chose linguistics and maybe your your journey from that? And, and you weren't always in healthcare. seems like you apply that uh, in a number of different sectors before you landed in healthcare. Maybe tell talk to us about that journey. Yeah. Often when I'm asked about my career journey, a term I use is random walk. That's not not quite the, exactly the truth, but not far from it either. As you say, I started out in, in a rather different field, linguistics, um, which was sort of an arbitrary direction early on in my career. So I I, um, I, le- I love languages. My wife is also a linguist. She's written some books about invented languages and the history of English. Um, I have spent some time in Germany. I, I uh, have, have uh, uh, studied German and, my, and um, at some at one point thought about being a Germanic languages and literatures major. Uh, but linguistics at a certain point in my career kind of seemed to have a lot of answers about cognitive science and how the brain works. And, and um, it, it seemed like something worth pursuing. Um, but linguistics is a weird field in that um, it's not really one thing. It's different things depending on whether informal linguistics or cognitive linguistics, psycholinguistics, linguistic anthropology. Um, and 
for a variety of reasons, I ended up specializing in a corner of the field, which is computational linguistics, trying to get computers to do things with language. Um, and and so this was, you know, quite some time ago. Uh, and back uh, then, this was a more normal career path for people who get into natural language processing to, to get there through linguistics and computational linguistics. Nowadays, it's really a subfield of computer science. Um, but it, um, but it kind of made sense at the time I ended up, uh, doing a couple internships at Microsoft research, uh, in their, their natural language processing team that built grammar checking tools for, uh, Microsoft word. Um, and, and then, as you say, spent, uh, different parts of my career in, in different verticals. So the, the common thread is really natural language processing and doing stuff with text to, to try and, understand how to, how computers can 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 deal intelligently with it and as you say we've had kind of a sea change in, te in that technology recently uh, but I've I've been really you know I'm somebody who's really uh engaged by new uh opportunities to have impact in different areas and learning new things so as I've uh, uh moved from one work context to another I've gotten to learn a lot about uh educational technology and the American educational system um uh, about politics and the way that analytics can support uh, engagement with constituents, and now more recently, uh, insure tech and, and specifically health insurance. So uh, a lot, a lot of uh, things like insurance that certain people find boring, but if you have the right mindset, they're really exciting. I love it. And what I think is exciting about it, too, is, again, when we think of AI, we often think of coders or IT. But where it sounds like you are really centered is, is in the crux between AI and the human, right? Almost as the translator, as a linguistic, right? The translator of how do you take human language and human interaction and how we're used to interacting with other humans, maybe, and then put that into the AI world. And I, and I feel like I can see that from your educational uh, sector background, where you're thinking about how AI works to, to, to teach or to, 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 to with testing. Uh, and then as well as your, your cultural or your political, uh, how that works with uh, politics as well. So I think it's a fascinating uh, resume and it's, it's one to keep in mind for any students out there. And if they're pursuing it, we, it's a one thing to build a, a computer. It's another thing to figure out how to make it interact with the human, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that, for me, that's that's really the exciting part of the work. I mean, the, the technical side is very interesting, understanding how transformers work and so on. But then also thinking about what the strengths and weaknesses are of AI capabilities and how we can leverage them into a, a, a workflow that brings value in a given context. Um, and from a career perspective, yeah, uh, folks graduating from school today, I just say, like, don't limit yourself too too much. There, there, There's a ton of stuff that you don't know and you can't and you're never going to know coming out of school. And if you are uh, willing and able to learn those things, um, there, there are lots of lots and lots of different opportunities that may be open to you. Yeah, I love that advice. I think that's great. Uh, which brings us to healthcare and your work in healthcare uh, with a payer uh, with HCSC. Um, so, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, what is your department? What is its what is its mandate? What has it been working on in the past? And and what do you see for the future? So, my team is data science and analytics solutions. Uh, sorry, data, data science and AI solutions within data and analytics solutions, a part of the company that uh, deals with all things data. So uh, my colleagues work with uh, work on data ingestion, creative creation of data assets, data sharing, um, business intelligence. And my team within this area focuses on uh, developing or collaborating for AI capabilities to help the business run more intelligently and efficiently. 
and so um, there are a range of areas we're addressing with AI solutions internally at HCSD today. And, and one, of, one of the big areas of impact is uh, claims processing. So we have millions of claims that we process every day. And there are lots of things uh, that we can use AI to get insight into. For instance, um, are, is there evidence of different types of overpayments that we can uh, pen for some sort of uh, uh, closer look? Uh, is there information um, about um, possible violations that we might run into in terms of uh, performance guarantee uh, requirements or uh, uh, prompt pay requirements in certain states that require that claims be paid accurately and on time within a certain time window? In that case, we can take those, those claims and get them routed to uh, an appropriate team for time, timely review. Um, another area that we're looking closely at is uh, in the clinical space, healthcare management. So uh, uh, identifying sources of risk to our members and acting on them uh, through uh, uh, some sort of care management outreach. So examples would include uh, readmissions. If members have been in an inpatient setting and uh, are discharged, what is their relative likelihood of being readmitted in the near future uh, because of uh, uh, lack of coordination of care? Chronic disease progression, such as diabetes, uh, if we if um, conditions are not effectively managed, they can be worsen and become high cost. Um, and there can be other drivers of uh, risk for members as well, including social determinants of health. So we have care management programs that offer members um, access to housing support or transportation support, and we have models that identify members who would benefit most from those. Um, clinical review is another um, area where we're um, using AI. So uh, analyzing clinical documentation to make it easier for clinicians on our side to find the right information that they, they need to for a variety of reasons. We get uh, uh, clinical documents um, uh, to do prior authorization evaluation. We get clinical documents uh, for HEDIS audits. And sometimes it can really be a needle in the haystack uh, type experience for, for clinicians to find what they actually need in that documentation that may run to hundreds of pages. Um, we have models that we develop to support member engagement and retention when there are members at uh, planned transition periods. We can identify those uh, who uh, uh, are best to target with uh, marketing uh, in order to, to, to hopefully keep them uh, with our plans. Um, and um, and uh, also um, uh, models that are for the general populace on uh, to um, uh, target marketing for some of our retail plans. So quite a few areas of, of impact. Very good. And and I don't know if if this is um, this is just because of, of of who I'm interviewing every week. But my sense is this is really the golden age AI uh, aside, the golden age of data. With the transparency rules requiring all the administrative and a lot of the price data coming out with the directory rules and then on the clinical side the interoperability rules it just feels like there's so much more data out there um, for both health plans and clinicians to do something with is, th is is that your sense too or is this is this like the factory's always been working uh that's an interesting way to put it a, a golden age uh it reminds me of something that uh my grad school advisor said, actually, this was in the context of a book review. He was, um, he said that somebody's book was a gold mine, but then he went on to clarify that 
he wasn't saying it was a treasure trove where you go in and there's sort of great stuff all around. It's like, you have to really work hard to get <laughs> value out of this book. Right. And I feel the same way about some of the, the, the data sources that you talked about today. There is a lot of it, but it's not easy to get the value. I mean, as you say, interoperability, transparency, you know, there's stuff um, that's now more accessible from the States than it had been in the past, like vaccination registries, because of the COVID-19 response. So there's a ton of stuff. And as a payer, um, we have access to a lot of, a lot of different data points for our members to um, curate that, structure it, and, and derive insights from it that are useful for all the different things we do as a business is really challenging, given, given just the scope and the, the fact that they really were not, in most cases, designed to be integrated easily or used together or, or may have different units of analysis associated with them. So it's, you know, the joy and challenges of, of my life. I love that too. And I like that analogy. So maybe it's not a, it's not the golden age. It's not a gold mine, even it's just a gold rush. Everybody yeah. thinks something's out there, but when yeah. we get there, we got a lot of digging to do before we find anything. So uh, that's, that's a great analogy. So um, tell us a little bit about, um, I started off the show by saying, you know, we've been doing this for years. What, what, have, what is a, how has AI been used? And you named a number of things that's already being used it now. And then what's the demarcation now? Like, where do you think things are going to go or where do you th see things helping out in the future? Or is it just going to boost up and kind of supercharge what you're already doing? It's really hard to predict the future now. Um, one, one area that's maybe a nearer term opportunity that I'm excited about is a, a lot of um, what's going on in the clinical review space. I mentioned a few of the things we're doing that are kind of near and dear to my heart because they use natural language processing. We still get a lot of um, very challenging uh, data in the clinical review space, um, faxes, email attachments. Uh, it can it can be really challenging to to extract the necessary information from those data sources to to accelerate and improve the quality of clinical reviews. Um, but there's also work to do. Um, uh, beyond, beyond like facilitating the speed of reviews to obviate those reviews when they aren't necessary. So clinical reviews are kind of a necessary evil um, in that um, obviously it's, it's administrative work for providers. Um, members usually experience it as, as some sort of a, a checkbox that they have to go through and, and potentially an impediment to the provision of care. And on our side as well, um, as payers, um, we invest a lot of administrative resources in running those processes. So if we can avoid it, um, we we should. And that and that's something that we've uh, made a lot of progress on recently, trying to um, make our uh, provider-facing systems um, more comprehensive and collect the information that we actually need to collect from a, a medical policy perspective to make automatic determinations and say, yes, we're going to approve uh, this request right away because we have the information to do so, or on the back end, in, in the case where we still have some missing information, to use AI to kind of bridge the gap and say, well, you know, we have still some some missing information, and we could go back to the provider and ask for medical records and spend another couple of weeks on this, but you know, we we can predict that uh, this with very high confidence that this is going to be approved if we go through all those steps and do the clinical review. So let's just approve it. Um, and so that's the direction we're going. And we have a strong perspective that there's a lot that a lot of efficiency we can drive and a lot of uh, better 
uh, patient and provider experience that we can drive through doing this auto approval, but we're not going to do auto denial. We're, we're not going to be using AI to deny prior authorizations or more generally to deny access to care. Um, the, the next um, question is the kind of the long-term view. What, what's, gonna, what's happening with AI and how can we adapt to it slash leverage it? Uh, so much going on with generative AI, so many, so many different possible applications, just thinking about conversational AI and, and tools like chat GPT that generate text automatically, tons and tons of applications making the generation of content more efficient and repeatable, right? So marketing content or um, standardized letters that we need to give to our members or um, explanation of benefit type documents, right? Um, uh, stuff related to um, using a conversational interface to basically any database that we want to interrogate. So looking at member benefit structures and benefit booklets, uh, looking at knowledge bases that customer service folks have, or there are clinical folks have and use in the context of care, care management. Potentially these kind of tools can provide easier, quicker answers to um, uh, uh, things that, that, that our inter internal staff need to know to support our members better. Uh, there's a lot of work in using these tools to um, uh, allow for uh, explanation of or interaction with tabular data. So if we have member clinical history that's represented as a series of encounters and claims data or in, or in other clinical data, can we use uh, uh, text generation to um, summarize that into um, a, a piece of text that's consumable by clinicians. I think there are a ton of applications, but also huge risks, right? Because <laughs> we know these, te these technologies as they exist today are not completely reliable. Uh, they, can, they can hallucinate. They can say things that are wrong. They can uh, interact in, with users in ways that are inappropriate and do not reflect well on the organization. And so we need to sort of... Un understand the potential and also be thoughtful about how we move toward uh, broader uh, use and adoption. Very good. Very good. Uh, a number of things that, that stand out in what you just said, right? First of all, is like the obvious efficiencies that this creates. And what I loved was um, actually AI is telling you what you don't have to worry about. Like, this is not a job. This is either an easy uh, clinical management uh, um, mm. uh, answer, or this is the only data we need to make this decision, and we don't need the whole EHR or whatever else is being asked for. So mm -hmm. the the efficiency is very interesting. Um, and this, this second thing you're saying, talking about with the generative AI. AI um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, certainly, there's risks, and so what can be done? Uh, certainly in the near future to, 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 to leverage these new technologies for in, in the ways that you talked about um, and, and avoid those risks or, or prevent those risks or create roadblocks for those risks. I think um, part of it is just, you know, we as a society are, are all um, figuring this out together. And so part of it is just maintaining awareness of new developments, new missteps by, uh, by organizations that, that kind of show, show the way not to go. Um, new legislation as it comes through, um, and, 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 um, kind of doing that due diligence to make sure whatever we do is, uh, to the extent possible aligned with best practices and far, far away from the conditions that led to any, any kind of missteps that we've observed. Um, Part of it is, um, again, being clear about what the risks are that we're trying to manage and structuring any 
uh, use cases to avoid those. So I mentioned, you know, providing assistive tools for customer service advocates or for um, um, uh, clinical uh, staff on, on our side working in healthcare management. Um, that's an alternative to potentially putting these tools directly in the hands of our members, um, which would be much higher risk where it's harder to have strong guarantees about the system providing correct answers and um, uh, and behaving re uh, in, in a responsible way that reflects well in the organization. So if, if it says something wrong to an internal um, uh, customer service person, one, we want to make sure that uh, you know, one, we want to make sure that it has, um, it provides also links to where it got the answer so that it can be verified. And two, um, we have some assurances that, um, it is that as it's experienced by our members, it's going to be an interaction with our customer service advocate who in the worst case provides a wrong answer, but not with the AI that directly provides the wrong answer. So, right. That's a, that's a, that, that's a great and important thing to, I think we've all had our, uh, our, our back and forth with uh, chatbots on, on, on a, a company website and, and, and run into certain things. So having a, a human babysitter there, not a babysitter, but yep. one that takes that as information that then the, the human then uh, translates to the, summary, yeah. to the member. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, being able uh, to know where uh, this generative AI got the information. And it sounds like that's where DC is headed. Like they talk about misinformation and hallucinations, but it sounds like the answer to it would be regulations that make these 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 uh, programs uh, or these AIs auditable, right? Able to be transparent so you know where they got uh, the results. Um, what do you see or what do you hope for from regulators or or do you think that maybe we need to let the ball roll for a bit to see what whether industry can figure this out for themselves i think there's definitely a role for legislation and regulation um i'm a little skeptical that you can make these systems effectively auditable this is the direction that we've been headed with machine learning for the last 50 years originally the AI systems were rule-based and and much more auditable because we not only was the lo logic behind them inspectable, but uh, humans wrote it. So like they were sort of responsible for it. Um, over time, we've learned that that approach doesn't work for, for many um, important problems like speech recognition. You can't write a, a set of rules that'll cause uh, uh, the computer to decode speech into legible text. Um, you can only learn from a database of examples using machine learning. And, and those systems are, by their nature, not fully inspectable. They're not ones that humans can reason about. Um, we can try to impose interpretations on them through different methods, but auditability is not something that we can fully realize. Um, so we're going to have to accept a certain level of obscurity in how systems reason and figure out how we can use them given that limitation. Uh, it would be great if there were more practical guidelines from legislators or um, industry groups or um, uh, technical consortia who are grappling with these same problems about how to design and manage AI governance effectively, because I think right now many organizations are doing our best to um, put in, put guardrails and, and guidelines into place. And I'm sure that they're not entirely consistent uh, because there isn't, there isn't, there isn't clear guidance at this point. 
Right, right. And I think um, it mentioned in your in your write up that your department is actually in charge of that governance as well. Right. And and so what are some of your ideas that, uh, that within your own company about how to put the guardrails on? And, and also, uh, thank you for clearing up that, that these things are not auditable. I, I think about them as the same way you would think about it uh, as a human being. And I think about my 16 year old daughter, like the conclusion she comes to. I have no idea where the logic is. And she doesn't even know how, how she came to that conclusion. Right. And and, and these computers seem like the same way. You, you can't even ask them what they thought because they, they don't even know for them, them themselves. But but um, back to best practices. Uh, what are your ideas on governance? And, and, and if you don't want to talk about, you know, HCSC uh, in particular, like what would your suggestions be for other companies? Yeah, I, I think there's still a, a lot of um, a lot to be worked out. Um, a couple principles that have been useful for us are one, trying to ensure that we have a holistic view of all of the impacts of AI throughout the organization. So things that we develop, uh, things that we license from vendors, just ensuring that we have a comprehensive database of all of the the uses of AI so that we kind of know what we're trying to govern. Um, and secondly, that we have a defined uh, process for review for each of those uh, capabilities retrospectively and then going forward as well. Um, we, um, I think we, we have a stake in the ground in terms of what we should be looking for and looking to verify or have attested for each of the capabilities that we have in production today. And that's going to evolve. I think as the technology evolves, the, the risk landscape is changing and we're going to need to uh, change the, the set of um, criteria that we look for in each of those capabilities. But we at least have a body that's responsible for doing that review and a comprehensive list of everything that needs to get reviewed. Excellent. Excellent. Knowing what you have seems like the first place to start for any uh, project. So that's terrific. Um, I'm going to ask you to uh, be prophetic here. Um, given the framework of AI with everything that's happening in AI, I, I, it looks like there's lots of efficiencies to be to to be realized on both the clinical and the administrative side. Uh, where do you see healthcare? Uh, and I'll say five years, but if you want to say we're not going to see anything real until 10 years, then you can you, you can pick the, um, the time span. Where do you see healthcare in five years or, or maybe what's your hope for healthcare in five years? I would I would love to see uh, AI um, begin to help us address some of the, the the data issues that we discussed earlier. There's so much data. It's very hard for any organization whether it's you know us on the payer side with our operational concerns or it's a provider trying to diagnose and support a patient, hard for anyone to synthesize that data and and um, and leverage it all effectively. Uh, I would love to say see AI provide um, a better first cut at that so that uh, experts can use their time and, and judgment um, more effectively to 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 really bring better better care to bear to support our members and, and providers, patients. Very good. Very good. Um, I guess I will leave you with the last word on um, AI, healthcare, uh, payers, uh, clinicians, how, they, how they're using AI, um, and then any other resources you'd like to point uh, the listeners to. Yeah, uh, last word. I mean, I guess I was I was uh, thinking a lot uh, recently about um, uh, data science, AI, how things are developing, what's going to be the next frontier in terms of um, technological development. And maybe this is related to healthcare as well. I think the next thing that's going to be um, uh, 
transformative and and also possible uh, is more of a human computer neural interface, like uh, having the ability not just to use conversational interfaces to drive uh, computational action, interact with databases, interact with unstructured data, but actually to do to um, drive these by the power of thought, to have more integration with how our brains work in the computational world. That's um, so. Uh, Watch for that. Watch for uh, not self-driving cars, but brain-driven cars, and in, in you know the, the maybe ten to fifteen-year-old, ten, 10, 10 to fifteen-year time horizon. And and uh, well, uh, as far as the the true impact of that that um, that next horizon, I don't know. We'll see. In terms of resources related to wait, wait, let me hold you on that. HCSC, <laughs> yeah. like I don't know. Look at our website. You can probably find me on LinkedIn, and uh, love to have conversations with anybody who found this conversation interesting. Excellent, excellent. But I do want to go back to uh, the idea of the neural interface because we. Uh, it feels like we're going to sci-fi if it weren't for uh, what was it the. Um, latest apple glasses that are now they're not track, quite reading your brain but they're they're judging you what you can choose with your eye eyes right and you're no longer choosing with your with a clicker right uh, so yep. i think we're getting there can you give use an example uh for how that neural interface might work in healthcare either administration or clinically or from the a patient's health in particular i don't know i guess that in that context it's probably more of a passive um uh, interface rather than an active interface, more less about device control and more about uh, diagnostic support. So if there's integration with the brain, I can imagine it's used for uh, a diagnosis uh, of mental health or any 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 condition that uh, has some neural component to it, because of obviously physical health and mental health are, are closely intertwined. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, thank you, Derek. This has been a stimulating conversation. I've learned a lot um, and appreciate you coming on The Collective Voice. Great to speak with you. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Uh, again, great talk with Dr. Derek Higgins, Head of Enterprise Data Science and AI with the Healthcare Services Corporation, a Blue Cross Blue Shield company. This has been The Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.